last word on health on Today FM. With Benelin non-drowsy chesty coughs. Gets to work fast. Always read the label. It's Dr. Alona Duffy who is with us from Monaghan this week for our weekly health spot. Uh, before we turn to IBS, which we'd asked you to come on and talk about, I want to ask you about stories in the news today in relation to codeine and calls for uh, codeine-based uh, drugs to no longer be available as over-the-counter purchases in pharmacies. What do you make of that? Well, I suppose really I probably would be in favour of this, Matt, because we know that codeine addiction is one of those hidden problems that most people aren't aware of. And many people aren't aware of it until they have it themselves or a family member with it. And what are we worried about? Well, codeine can be part of many painkillers. So the likes of salpidine, capaic, uh, some of the neurofen types will have codeine. And it is a medication that has addictive qualities, but it also sedating qualities. So people who take it sometimes may not be fit to do things like driving. And it has other side effects such as constipation yet this is a medication that's freely available for people to buy now when i say freely available it is limited and it has to be through a pharmacy it is behind the counter and you must discuss it with your pharmacist but there is nothing to stop those who have developed an addiction to it going from one pharmacy to another and stockpiling the medication and adding to the problems and people including their gp not be aware of this Taking people down off their codeine addiction actually is a really time-consuming thing, as in it takes months before we can wean people off them by moving them onto a more controlled drug like Valium and then slowly, slowly, slowly reducing that. So I feel it shouldn't be available because, again, what does it add? We have basic paracetamol, which is already available. And I think if people are needing high doses of medication, they should be probably seeing a doctor to get those on prescription who's able to monitor them and decide, is this the right drug? Should we be increasing it or should we be doing more tests to get to the nub of what the problem is? All right. How many salpidine tablets a day constitutes an addiction? Well, I suppose an addiction is when you're craving them. So that's really the sensation of you've had them, the effect has worn off and you start perhaps feeling jittery. You may start getting cramps. You may get recurrence of the thing that you took them for in the first place, like a migraine headache. So we know that people who take salpidine on a regular basis for their migraine headaches are more likely to get a rebound headache as the codeine effect wears off. So for those who are addicted, it is that need to take more and more of them and not be able to do without them and struggle if they were told on a day that there are no salpidine available for you today they may get actual withdrawal symptoms such as aches pains such as sweats and again typical things like headaches and all of that as well Um, but what about people who need them to kickstart the day popping a couple into a glass of water in the morning uh, before they have their coffee Absolutely. Look, at that's a warning sign. That's a bit like taking your drink before you start your day. And I think we have to remember that codeine-based products have the same effect on you as taking alcohol. So I think we now know that you don't get into the car after a drink. We have to recognize that taking any medication that has the potential to sedate you and slow your responses means that you are potentially creating a risk for yourself and others when driving. So I think these medications are medications with serious side effects. And now that we also know that they can create addiction we've got to be careful about taking them now saying that i don't want anybody who's on them out there and who's in pain stopping them like if you need them and you're being monitored by your doctor and you're getting them for a period of time or perhaps an older person who we may use salpidine quite regularly on because we can't use anti-inflammatories in a means to protect their kidneys don't stop them without talking to your gp so if you're getting them prescribed for you that's okay talk to us about it but don't stop them okay now ibs irritable bowel syndrome have you come on to tell us about something that we don't know what causes it and we don't know how to cure it 
So much. <laughs> That's a really positive start. So, Sorry. Yeah. It'll be all uphill from here. It's all up here. Well, look at what is it? And there are many people who are going to be listening probably saying, oh, I have this and what can we do? OK, so the bad news is I have nothing new to offer. But the good news is to tell you, look, at irritable bowel is exceptionally common. And we figure up to one in 10 people probably have irritable bowel type symptoms. And what is it? It is really, as the name says on the tin, it is an irritable bowel. So in our bowel, the way food moves through it and passes from when we take it into our mouth, down through the stomach, into the small bowel, into the large bowel, is all based on kind of gradual, what we call peristaltic movements. So anyone who has seen a worm on the ground and sees it kind of little bits of a body moving at a time, and that's how it pushes itself along. Similarly, our bowel works like that. But what we feel can happen with irritable bowel is that either parts of it slow down in their movement or other parts over move. So we're getting overstimulation or understimulation of the bowel. And that leads to classic symptoms, which are pain, typically in either the right hand corner or the left hand corner or sometimes in the, the top corner. So it really tends to be the corners. And that fits where our colon is and perhaps where food and feces is moving around and sometimes just gets caught into the spasm. Typically, people may complain of altering bowel habits. So some days they may have stringy, loose stool. Other days they may have quite constipated hard stool. Um, they may find their stomach rumbling more. So they're having that noisy, rumbling stomach. And often they'll say that their pain is eased when they pass a bowel motion or actually pass wind. And finally, sometimes if they press in on their stomach, they get this squelchy feeling or even a squelchy noise. So the difficulty with irritable bowel or IBS is that there is no one test that proves what it is. So we as your doctor are very much basing it on your history and excluding other more worrying causes. So we'll always end up doing probably a few bloods on you. We may end up sending for your scope and we may end up asking you to send a sample of your stool to outrule blood in it that might indicate a, a hidden cancer. Or we may also in women do a CA125 to check for ovarian cancer. And finally, we also want to check for a hidden anemia and inflammation of the bowel in the form of fecal calprotectin. So there are a number of tests we're doing but they won't give us, they won't, they're not going to say to us, yes, it's IBS. We're doing those to make sure it's nothing else before we tell you we think it's IBS. Okay. Come back to the thing about, though, the potential causes, because is it down to maybe trying to adjust your diet, finding foods that irritate you, foods that don't? Well, I think that's part of it. And we do feel that Partly it may relate to some people get the symptoms when they have perhaps an intolerance to certain foods. And that's where doing a food and symptom diary for two weeks. So have a little notebook and every day write down at the end of the day what your symptoms like. Was your tummy bloated? Did you have pain? What were your bowel motions like? And also writing down everything that's passed through your mouth. Now this is time consuming, but it can help sometimes to see a pattern of things that may be triggering it for you. But also looking at life because we know that stress plays a huge role yeah. and most people, yeah, most people who have IBS will often say to us, well, it's worse when I'm when I've something well, that, coming up that I'm anxious about. Ilona, that's exactly what the text messages are coming in about in relation to it. If it's stress or depression or anxiety, that that then seems to whatever's going on in the head ends up having its physical manifestation in IBS. And that's why some of the treatments have moved away, not just from giving you medications such as antispasmodics that are to ease the cramping pain, but also moving towards um, some medications we're talking about using low dose antidepressants, but also more importantly, looking at things like CBT. So looking at psychological interventions to help deal with that. And partly it is recognizing stress, Matt, because many of us, we don't know we're stressed until we have physical symptoms. So it's like we're not listening to ourselves 
but it's only when our body tells us it's a problem. So perhaps if you knew something's coming up, exams are coming up, you know you're always going to get stressed around that time, but there's very little you can do to prevent that, knowing to have your antispasmodics and start taking those then in advance. So at least we may cut down some of the cramping and some of the sluggishness in the bowel motions. Do you find that people are slow to go to the doctor to discuss this? I think they can be because like lots of symptoms and things like fibromyalgia, because we don't have a definite let's say, tests that says it is. And also because we do talk about that psychological overlay on it, people sometimes feel that we're going to say, well, it's all in your head and you're giving it to yourself. So often people are embarrassed. I think it's easier if they have something like hard symptoms such as weight loss or blood. And again, they're all red flag symptoms and we know it's not, you can't blame those on IBS at all. And we would definitely be wanting you to see if you had any of those symptoms. But I think when you kind of feel well, what is there? What are they going to do for me? I've seen them before. They haven't done anything for me. And um, they tell me it's stress. So what are they going to do for me? I think it is hard to talk about. Good food supplements, could they be of use? Um, no real evidence to support them and their use. But we do know that having a high fiber diet, so sometimes we don't get enough fiber through what we're choosing to eat. And we may need to take supplements in the form of various sachets, that that can help perhaps keep the bowel movements more even so they don't tend to get caught up you don't tend to get as constipated and also often you won't get the diarrhea if you're having a high fiber diet too. So that's why often people will be put on things like fiber gel or Regulan sachets, not the most pleasant and you can do it yourself with your diet, but they can help as well in the prevention. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Lona Duffy, for joining us on The Last Word in Health. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today,